Today provide you with in-depth news and expert analysis, tell you the whole story and the bigger picture, bring you the news you want to know only on Today. Super Typhoon Mankert has, has made land, landfall in Guangdong province of China, affecting millions of people. A high-level seminar has been held in Beijing, focusing on China-U.S. trade frictions. Former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort pleads guilty and agrees to cooperate with special counsel's probe. Chinese tourists complain about the ill treatment by Swedish police after hostile booking confusion. You're listening to today, a news program with a different perspective. I'm Zhao Ying. Coming up, we'll have an hour of world news and analysis. To hear this episode again or catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching World News Analysis. Super Typhoon Mankert has, has made landfall in Guangdong, packing winds up to 162 kilometers per hour. Over two and a half million people have been relocated, and over 48,000 fishing boats have been called back to port. In Zhenjiang, soldiers and doctors are helping seniors and physically challenged residents to evacuate their homes. Julie is the director of the city's Mingan sub-district office. We launched our plan over two days. We walked into each village from door to door to help them evacuate. In Maoming, the city authorities prepared temporary shelters to accommodate the residents, all facilitated with food, water, and medical stuff. Work in 29,000 construction sites across Guangdong has been halted, and 640 tourist spots have been closed. Mankut has now entered Guangxi, where nearly 230,000 people have been relocated. The Ministry of Transport is calling for new efforts to cope with the damage caused by Typhoon Mankut in southern China. Transportation and maritime authorities have been mobilized in areas where the storm passed on Sunday. Nearly all urban transport services stopped yesterday as the storm approached, and coastal highways were closed. Before landing in Guangdong, Super Typhoon Mankut slammed into Hong Kong with strong winds and heavy rains. CRI's Xiecheng has more. Hong Kong Observatory issued Hurricane Signal Number 10, the top-level warning, on Sunday morning. The signal remained in force for 10 hours until it was downgraded to Signal 8 in the evening. The hospital authorities say Typhoon Mankut has injured at least 213 people. 48 temporary shelters have been opened in various districts, where over 1,200 residents have sought refuge. The strong winds brought by the typhoon have rattled windows of skyscrapers, leaving broken glass in many places. The Hong Kong government's call center has also received 179 reports of fallen trees, many of which have blocked roads. The typhoon has also caused giant waves on the coast, resulting in at least 26 confirmed flooding cases, but no landslides. It has also severely paralyzed the local public transportation system. Train and ferry services have been suspended, while a limited service is being maintained on the railway's underground sections. 889 flights have been cancelled. The Education Bureau has announced that all schools will remain closed on Monday for the sake of student safety. For CRI, I'm Xie Cheng. For more, we are now joined on the line by Wu Changhua, China and Asia Director at the Office of Jeremy Rifkin. Dr. Wu, thanks for joining us. This is Thank the you for having me. This is the world's most powerful storm of 2018, and it is dubbed as King of Storms. So how powerful and destructive is it? Uh, as reported just uh, early on, and the damage has been witnessed, and uh, in terms of the strength of the wind and also uh, you know the damage actually to the infrastructure uh, along the coastal areas and in the few regions like Hong Kong, Guangzhou, and now moving to Guangxi, and it's impacted very negatively people's daily lives and the work jobs as well. And uh, this is this has become a uh, sort of part of the new norm. Basically, we're going to see more and more extreme weather because of climate change. And uh, if you look at it from a frequency and the intensity perspective, and we're experiencing more frequent and more intensive uh, extreme like typhoons, storms, among others. And uh, as, uh, as we're talking about it here, actually, climate change has been recognized as uh, the cause of uh, the consequences we're experiencing now. 
and that we're going to do, we're expecting experience more and more so. And that puts tremendous, uh, de- actually, um, uh, t- t- tremendous need of much enhancing infrastructure. And also people have to learn how to deal with or how to live through extreme weather events like this in order to mitigate and manage the risk and damages. So will there be more parts of China that will be affected? Uh, yes, as the weather forecast is said, actually, it's moving towards uh, inland, more towards Guangxi. But as we all know, actually, when uh, when typhoons are actually, uh, you know, uh, moving towards inland, I think it will gradually sort of uh, uh, decrease and die down in the end. But wherever it passes by, it is causing tremendous damage, as I said, to both the infrastructure and to people, uh, you know, disrupted people's life and work. But but there are safeguards against typhoons in those affected cities, right? Like in Hong Kong and a southern part of Chinese mainland, because those are areas that can frequently be affected by extreme weathers like this. Although this one is obviously more powerful than the ones in the past. Uh, that's true. I think for regions like Hong Kong, uh, Taiwan, even Guangdong area, uh, people as they uh, have probably experienced more uh, typhoons over the years, over the decades. Uh, but if you look at, as I said, if you look at the frequency and the intensity, of, actually, of uh, typhoons, and uh, it, it's getting worse. It's getting worse in a way. It's challenging existing infrastructure, meaning when we when we de- design or build our cities, actually, of course, we design a certain level of resilience of our infrastructure to extreme weather events like typhoons, stuff like that. But now we started to see more and more cases, actually, uh, you know, typhoons and other extreme events are literally overwhelming the existing infrastructure. And that's where we started to see more damages, actually, more loss, uh, both the infrastructure and the economic losses, as well as life, uh, you know, uh, life losses there as well. Mm-hmm. So what are the suggestions for, for citizens to protect themselves in weathers like this? Um, uh, I think, in the, you know, uh, as uh, what has been done actually in Hong Kong and the Guangzhou areas. And uh, so when extreme weather events like this uh, coming and uh, the government would advise people to uh, leave their home, to, you know, to stay at indoors and not to work outside, not to drive around, whatever. Uh, then actually it's also, if you look at the uh, east coast actually of the United States there as well, they had also experienced sort of similar problems, but less actually extreme uh, typhoon storms there as well. Basically, the government would ask people to somehow leave the cities, leave their homes, and trying to retreat actually from the coastal areas back to the inland areas as well. Uh, there isn't really much you can do except that try to stay as safe as possible. Uh, so even though actually, we, you know, uh, the Hong Kong or uh, Pearl River Delta region, uh, people are more used to extreme weather events like this, we still experiencing losses, even including life losses there as well. And uh, in, in the longer run, actually, this is about the fundamental uh, causes about climate change. And that's why, actually, today, every individual, every country and every city actually need to take immediate actions to make sure we do not make the situation worse. We need to make sure, you know, we you know, consume renewable energy and make sure we improve energy efficiency and, and trying to reduce emissions of greenhouse gases as much as possible. But that's, the impact will be felt longer term. So there's sort of short-term uh, actions that trying to stay safe as much as possible. And in the, in the longer term, actually, we need to take actions really to mitigate the climate change and make sure we you know, avoid or reduce uh, greenhouse gases emissions as much as possible. Yes, as you, you, you just mentioned, uh, that the Hurricane Florence also tightened the script close to North and South Carolina. And both storms are very similar in terms of uh, presentation. But what are the differences between them? Uh, I, I wouldn't say, I think it's, there's, a, there's a name difference, uh, you know, storm, typhoon, whatever. Um, but in, in terms of extreme weather events, they are very similar. And uh, it's impacting the regions where the storm or typhoon passes by, and uh, I do not, I don't, I don't think there is major sort of any major difference actually between the two. So the and hurricane is similar to typhoon. The typhoon, it's called a typhoon actually in uh, in uh, you know in the southern part of China, this, that that region, and it's, yeah, it's called a hurricane in that part of the world. Okay. And as you just mentioned, uh, the extreme weather is perhaps occurring more frequently worldwide. So could you explain more on the reasons behind? 
The reason is that, uh, uh, so uh, back to the climate change, as, uh, uh, so the biggest the impact the disruption of climate change is the water cycle of the ecosystem, uh, you know, of the planet, literally. So for every one degree Celsius uh, temperature increase, the air um, sucks up 7% more, percent, uh, 7% more uh, uh, you know, humidity uh, from uh, the land, from the earth. And uh, just imagining actually when the air sucks up large amounts of uh, water into the atmosphere and that sort of, uh, uh, you know, precipitation sort of fl- flows into the atmosphere and then just dumps for anywhere, actually, uh, when it cannot really hold up anymore. And uh, so the water cycle is, is such a fundamental, important system, actually, of the planetary Earth. And uh, so now the climate change is literally, literally interrupting that whole process. And uh, that's why we're experiencing more and more weather, uh, you know, extreme weather events. Hurricane typhoons is just one, you know, type of the extreme weather. If you look at this uh, summer, the past summer, uh, the northern hemisphere experienced probably the, the warmest, actually, summer. And uh, it, you know, extremely, like, hot weather is in pretty much across the northern hemisphere. And you started to experience more wide, wildlife forest fire and the wildfire. Uh, then if you look at the, the Arctic region and the summer, and experience probably the hottest summer ever. You started to see the fast melting of the Arctic, the ice, you know, the the, the ice, and uh, things like that. Anything related to water, you started to see actually the changes uh, that are being interrupted or disrupted. And uh, so, to a certain extent, we live in a sort of a new norm of extreme weather events because of climate change, uh, which we're literally living in it. And, uh, uh, you know, as I said, both from both frequency and the intensity perspective, we are going to definitely experience more and more so. And so on one side, we had to learn how to in- enhance our resilience, adapting to those extreme weather events. In the meantime, in the longer run, we have to take immediate actions to make sure, you know, we, we reduce or avoid emissions of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere as much as possible, as fast as possible in order to mitigate, actually, the impact we're experiencing or we will experience. Yes, actually, in, in the Global Risk Report published by the World Economic Forum, the extreme weather events and natural disasters rank among the top three risks in terms of likelihood and impact. So how big a risk will that pose to, to lives and livelihoods, and which parts of the world are the biggest vulnerability? Uh, I think there are a lot of economic modeling uh, uh, telling the you know the range of economic impacts, whatever. Uh, literally, the numbers are in tens of trillions of dollars, and uh, so uh, you know this is the world, you know world, the world we are living already. We are bearing those sort of losses there. Uh, from the glo- globally, I don't think anywhere uh, has any you know luck to say escape from this sort of weather event. And uh, uh, as I mentioned, actually now the southern part of China is experiencing the typhoon and uh, the Atlantic, in, in Atlanta, uh, Atlantic and the eastern coast of the U.S. experience a hurricane. If you look at the summer, actually, extreme hot weather events. And you started to see land degradation, drought, floods everywhere. Uh, I don't, you know, Africa, you know, East Asia. Uh, so I don't think anywhere, any region will be able to stay sort of put and say, oh, again, God, I live in heaven. No, there is no such a place anymore on, on the planet. That creates a huge sense of urgency. Why at the global level, uh, you know, countries, regions, companies, need, individuals need to take actions immediately and uh, to really figure out how to mitigate, shift the energy uh, consumption from fossil fuels actually to clean energy and really increase the energy efficiency as much as possible. Besides that, actually also look into te- you know, uh, tackle agriculture, tackle water security, and all the other issues together. And so this is a transformation time. And as you mentioned, the World Economic Forum, uh, you know, I have been part of the big family, of the think tank family. Every year we rank global uh, you know, top 10 risks. And uh, in the past decade or so, uh, climate change, water security, extreme weather events has always been ranked among the top risks that the global uh, the global community is experiencing, and that has been demonstrated again and again. And you know the urgency of actions. Why you know we everywhere now, literally today, we have to take actions. Otherwise, we're going to going to bear 
more and more extreme、uh, sort of damages and the losses. Yes, thank you, Dr. Wu Changhua, China and Asia Director at the Office of Jeremy Rifkin. A group of former senior officials and business leaders are now calling on the U.S. to put trade war with China on hold. They made a call at a forum held in Beijing over the weekend. A reporter, Min Rei, has the story. The two-day event kicked off on Sunday with Chinese government and other delegates telling the outside world about how to deal with new challenges, including trade friction. According to data released by China's Statistics Bureau on September 15th, China's exports to the United States have held up despite U.S. tariffs on 50 billion U.S. dollars of Chinese goods. After imposing 25% tariffs on 50 billion U.S. dollars of Chinese goods, the Trump administration has yet to announce the imposition of additional tariffs on 200 billion U.S. dollars worth of Chinese imports. The U.S. has suddenly extended olive branches amid its ongoing and escalating tensions with China. Former U.S. Treasury Secretary Robert Rubin calls for a rational mentality to deal with differences. And while the United States and China certainly have differences, important differences, I think that once you recognize the catastrophic stakes in our relationship and in not having an effective relationship, it seems to me that the two countries should work together. In a constructive context to deal with their differences, a survey from MCM China and MCM Shanghai found that a large proportion of U.S. firms in China say the duties Trump placed on billions of dollars of Chinese imports this summer have hurt their businesses. MCM China President William Sarit says their survey also shows these damages are more from the U.S. side. Three out of four American companies are adversely affected. By U.S. tariffs, and maybe 60% are adversely affected by the Chinese tariffs. So the companies—and remember, these are folks doing business in China—are、um, more adversely affected by the American tariffs than they are by the Chinese tariffs. Zarit said, "U.S. business leaders in China want Trump to rethink the levies he has proposed on an additional 200 billion U.S. dollars in Chinese imports, including many consumers' goods." That's been re-reporting. With more on this, my colleague Ding Hen was earlier joined by Einar Tungen, author and columnist, and Winston Wan, managing director of investment firm Shipstone Group Limited. So, Anna, let me start with you.、Uh, the kind of calls we heard from my colleagues' report,、uh, frankly speaking, I think those kind of calls have been heard just too many times. But looking at what Trump has done, are there any signs that he would ever listen to these voices? Well, eventually he has to listen to them because as campaign season swings into full、uh, full throat roar. He's going to be stuck with a lot of very unhappy legislators,、uh, both in Congress and the Senate and locally, who are saying, "Look, they're killing us. Our business people are, you know, they might have some agreement with direction, but they don't like what your tactics are." But the really big question here is,、uh, you know, coming one day after、uh, Paul Manafort decided that he was going to cooperate with the special counsel, Robert Mueller. In terms of the RussiaGate investigation, I mean, it, I don't think it, it's coincidental that、uh, after making some progress, holding out this olive branch, saying let's have trade talks, the markets responded positively, and then he throws in, oh no, I'm going to, you know, I instruct the、uh, everybody to figure out 200 billion dollars more. I mean, this is a way of eating up airtime that might otherwise be devoted. Purely to speculation about his、uh, domestic problems, so there's a, a nuance here. People are trying to figure out how much of this is just trying to distract the American public, and how much of it is actually serious. You know, if you read his art, book, The Art of the Deal, you know, you always ask for five billion and then you know settle when you actually only want one billion.、Uh, but I think at this point, people are beginning to、uh, wonder. Uh, if there is really a policy, if there is a bottom line, because he's not showing it, he's given China no、uh, sense of exactly how this situation can be solved, and this is what is really becoming very, very frustrating, not only for China but for all the other countries in the world who have been affected by his unilateral tariffs. So, going forward, 
Uh, if anybody guessed how it's going to go, I think the business community really believes that he will, in the end, be a business guy and do the rational thing. But um, we haven't seen a lot of the quote rational thing coming from Donald Trump.、Mm. Winston,、um, how difficult, given all that is going on at the current stage, how difficult is it to build up a so-called rational mentality in dealing with the Sino-U.S. trade differences? Well, I actually believe that uh, uh, the, uh, these people, the Trump administration, is quite rational.、Uh, they are just rational、uh, around a very different vision, a very different objective.、Uh, because Trump is actually has been、uh, during his campaign has been campaigning against the very people that who are advocating for free trade, and、uh, Trump ridiculed these people as the globalists, and that's exactly the group of people. That、uh, they are they are fighting against,、uh, and he is trying hard to please his political base.、Uh, those base believe that a free trade has been damaging their interests. So, so in my view, that、uh, both of them are quite rational. They are just rational、uh, around very opposite、uh, objectives. Hmm. But let maybe let me put it in another way. How difficult do you think it is to build up some confidence in, in terms of? Resolving our differences. Oh,、uh, that's going to be quite challenging, in in my view. This is the、uh, uh, essentially, if you look at the, the whole foreign policy of the Trump administration, is dictated by his domestic political agenda. That means if he is not able to resolve in a way, you know,、uh, find some bridges between his uh, domestic uh, agenda, and it's very hard to have a very dramatic shift on his foreign policy. Then, but if you look at the reality,、uh, there is very little meaningful dialogue between the left and the right, between the Democrats and the Republicans. So essentially, what Trump is doing that he's not really a national leader; he's just doing everything you know possible to please his own base, and don't care. He doesn't really care anything what the opposite party is saying. So he's going solo.、Uh, in that sense, I think it's, it's going to be a long way to resolve the difference. Simply because that people don't talk to each other anymore.、Mm. So Anna, why, according to surveys by American Chamber of Commerce here in China, U.S. tariffs are are bringing more damages to U.S. companies in China than Chinese companies? Well, they're being priced out of the, the market. You know, remember this. Think of it this way: many of the things that were done in this first tranche of、uh, tariffs. Were things that American companies needed to complete、uh, American quote made products.、Uh, they needed these components from China. So you look there. There's a lot of chemicals. There's a lot of machinery. All of little bits and pieces that China has been very efficient at making that are sent to other countries and then used in their product. Now, by doing that, basically what he、uh, Trump has done is he's pushed up the price of U.S. products, not only domestically but internationally. So they're getting, they're really getting hurt, and they're going to have to reevaluate how much business is going to do. You're going to see a big drop off in, in profit. Well, maybe due、Now、to some.、Mm-hmm. Continue, Anna. Yeah. So I mean, th- these guys are are trying to figure out, you know, how how much how much can they take? I mean, this is not a situation where it's going to be a win win situation for anybody. It's a lose lose situation. And right now,、uh, American product <coughs>、uh, companies are saying, "Look, our European allies are going to quote kill us because they make everything we make, except they don't have these burdensome tariffs. Not only、uh, going out, but also coming in." So at this point, I mean, they they are really in a quandary. How far is this they,、uh, this going to be taken? Is there kind of any daylight? Everyone likes to think that you know Donald Trump is rational, as Winston said, maybe perhaps from a different view. However, I've just been reading Bob Woodward's book,、uh, Fear, and it really seems、uh, if if this is to be、uh, true, and Bob Woodward is the most respected journalist in the U.S., that this is a man, Donald Trump. Who does not understand basic economics? That he might understand the feelings of his base, but he doesn't understand how to achieve it. 
I mean, he's ruining the, the world economy, not only in this instances, but the stronger dollar because of things that he's doing, driving up interest rates, and it's killing countries like Argentina and uh, Brazil and everyone else who has dollar-denominated debt. Uh, mm. This is the, the essence of the crisis in Turkey. He mm. does not understand the basic principles. He, he thought when he got into uh, become president, he would, they would just give him a printing press and everything would be solved. He never understood this part. So this is the real problem, it's just a complete and utter lack of understanding, and this is what people have to come to grips with. Can the people, the adults in the room, prevent him from causing a global meltdown uh, through his kind of you know, uh, weird non-science uh, belief in uh, uh, the economy? That's Einar Tungen, author and columnist, and Winston Wong, managing director of Shipstone Group Limited. Speaking with my colleague Ding Hun, you're listening to Today. I'm Zhao Ying. Stay with us. Welcome back. You're listening to Today. I'm Zhao Ying. Let's now check the weather. In China, Beijing sunny tomorrow with a high of 24 degrees Celsius and a low of 15. Chongqing drizzling with a high of 27 and a low of 21. Lhasa sunny and light winds with a high of 22 and a low of 6. Elsewhere, London sunny with a high of 23 and a low of 16. Washington D.C. thunderstorms with a high of 25 and a low of 23. Nairobi sunny with a high of 27 and a low of 14. And finally, Canberra sunny and breezy tomorrow with a high of 20 and a low of 7 degrees Celsius. Now it's global survey where we look at what's happening around the world. Joining me in the studio is my colleague Wu Yu. Thank you, Joanne. For Second Asia, executives from South Korea's top four conglomerates, including Samsung Electronics Vice Chairman Lee Jae-yong, will accompany President Moon Jae-in to Pyongyang for possible talks on inter-Korean business cooperation. Japan says the number of people aged 70 or above has reached about 26 million, accounting for over 20 percent of its population, meaning one in every five people in Japan is now aged 70 years old or above. In Oceania, Australia has ordered an investigation into the discovery of needles hidden in strawberries amid growing alarm over scares across the country. Staying in the country, a 23-year-old woman has been found guilty of being a member of Islamic State in South Australia's Supreme Court. Moving on to Africa, Zimbabwe's former president Robert Mugabe and his wife Grace have reportedly been flown out of the country for emergency medical treatment in Singapore. Kenya's Alouette Kipchoge has smashed the marathon world record by clocking a time of two hours one minute thirty nine seconds in Berlin, nearly one minute twenty seconds off the previous best. Turning to the Middle East, UN envoy to war ravaged Yemen has arrived in Sanaa to meet leading Houthi rebels, just as the Saudi UAE-backed government offensive to retake the strategic western port city of Hodeidah intensifies and had killed at least seven civilians. An Israeli settler has died after an alleged stabbing attack by a Palestinian teenager, who was then shot and wounded in the occupied West Bank, according to reports. Looking to Europe, British Prime Minister Theresa May has warned rebels in her party that unless they support her potential Brexit deal with the EU, or they will face a no deal. Thousands of protests have confronted German police after a six-year standoff against the coal mine expansion in Hamba Forest. Looking to Latin America, Cuban President Miguel Díaz-Canel said in his first interview since taking office in April that his government could not talk with U.S. President Donald Trump as long as Trump's administration kept its abnormal attitude towards the communist-run island. Peruvian President Martin Vizcarra has dared lawmakers to dismiss his cabinet in a dispute over his proposed anti-graft reforms, invoking a constitutional procedure that puts him on a collision course with the opposition party controlling the Congress. And finally, in North America, the U.S. space agency NASA has launched what it describes as its most advanced space laser into orbit in a bid to find out just how much of the Earth's ice is melting as the planet warms. Texas police arrested a veteran U.S. Border Patrol agent who is suspected of killing four women within the past two weeks and kidnapping a fifth. Thank you, Will. That's the global headlines survey for today. 
Former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort has agreed to cooperate with an investigation into alleged Russian meddling in the U.S. election as part of a plea deal. In court on Friday, he pleaded guilty to two criminal charges in the deal with special counsel Robert Mueller. The agreement avoids a second trial on money laundering and other charges. The White House insists the guilty plea has absolutely nothing to do with President Donald Trump. Manafort was convicted last month on eight counts of eight counts of fraud, bank fraud, and failing to disclose bank accounts. For more on this, we are now joined on the line by Rick Dunham, co-director of Global Business Journalism Program at Tsinghua University. So, Dr. Dunham, first of all, are you surprised by Manafort's decision to cooperate with the Justice Department?、Uh, I'm actually not surprised at all by it because he was facing. Effectively, life in prison for his convictions、uh, on eight criminal charges in Virginia, and he had an upcoming trial、uh, where the evidence is just overwhelming against him. Also,、uh, the government could seize through asset forfeiture almost all of his properties and his bank accounts. And by cutting the deal that he did right now,、uh, he could have a shorter, much shorter. Sentence than 20 years in prison, and he will be able to keep at least four of his properties. So,、uh, so his life will be much better.、Uh, so, I mean, it, 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 I think it was a calculated decision on his part to to,、uh, to take a smaller penalty, even though it meant turning on Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Actually, President、uh, of the Donald Trump's legal team, Rudy Giuliani, issued a statement saying the president did nothing wrong and Paul Manafort will tell the truth. But minutes later, they seemed to reconsider because a corrected statement removed the bit, the bit about Manafort telling the truth. So, what do you make of the, the changing statements on the implications of Manafort's plea deal? I think those two statements said almost everything you need to know. About the thinking in the White House right now,、uh, it, I mean, the White House is saying that you tell the truth if you say that Donald Trump had nothing to do with any of the criminal activity, and they're afraid that he will testify that Donald Trump had some knowledge of some of the criminal activity that was going on. So therefore, they don't want to say that he could tell the truth. The same thing happened with Donald Trump's former lawyer, Michael Cohen. Where Rudy Giuliani and others said that this is a man who was telling the truth, and he was being hounded unfairly by prosecutors until he turned on Donald Trump, and then they said he was a liar. So I think we're we're seeing them lay the predicate for、uh, saying that Paul Manafort is lying if he links Donald Trump to illegal activity. Well, the White House press secretary Sarah Sanders said this had absolutely nothing to do with the president or his victorious 2016 presidential campaign. It is totally unrelated. But that's no longer the truth, is it? Well,、uh, let's put it this way: it may be technically the truth, but it's disingenuous. The specific plea deal did not have to do with the 2016 campaign. It had to do. Uh, mostly uh, with tax evasion, although some other conspiracies that happened before the Trump campaign. However, the cooperation、uh, that he promised involves the investigation、uh, of Donald Trump, and particularly questions of obstruction of justice and meeting with Russians. So, yes, it technically didn't have anything to do with Trump, but what's coming definitely—the heart of it—it has to do with Trump. And any idea what Paul Manafort might reveal, and how damaging will that be to Donald Trump?、Um, yes, there, there, there are certain things that we know, and then there are certain things that are speculation. What we know is that he was in the meeting in Trump Tower with Russians who wanted to change the Obama administration policies,、uh, particularly of sanctions against certain oligarchs and allies of Vladimir Putin.、Um, So he knows what happened there, and he can testify. Secondly, there was a change in the Republican platform—an abrupt change from Republican policy forever—that、um, that, that uh, distanced the Republicans from the government of Ukraine, um, and uh, and and said that、uh, basically it took out、uh, criticism of Russia and the invasion of Eastern Ukraine by irregular Russian military irregulars. And and Ukrainians who are armed by the Russians, so that's significant because we may want to know why 
Uh, and then the other questions that really come up are speculation. Uh, the, the Manafort knows the Russian oligarchs. He's had a relationship for more than a decade. What does he know about Trump's relationship with some of these same oligarchs? Also, were there any uh, quid pro quos? Were there any deals that were cut with the Trump campaign uh, through the Russian oligarchs or the Kremlin during the campaign? And what does he know about this speculation of Russian blackmail material on Trump, that the, the, the so-called dossier? Uh, so these are, this is all speculation, but we know that he was in the room for the meeting with the Russians, uh, and, that's, and, and that's the main thing I think Trump is concerned with. Thank you, Dr. Rick Donham, co-director of Global Business Journalism Program at Tsinghua University. Coming up, Chinese tourists complain about the ill treatment by Swedish police after a hostile booking confusion. You're listening to Today. I'm Zhao Ying. We'll be back in a minute. ChinaPlus.CRI.CN is your home for everything you want to know about China. The latest news in China and everything China-related from around the world. Everything in focus, all in one place, bringing you vital information for your business and travel. Chinese culture, language learning, and more. ChinaPlus.CRI.CN. ChinaPlus.CRI.CN. Your portal into today's Middle Kingdom. Join the most popular Chinese language learning page on Facebook by searching for CRI Learn Chinese. It's a quick yet fun way to achieve your language goals. Start your free lessons now with unlimited videos, photos, and text tutorials on expressions and Chinese culture. CRI Learn Chinese Facebook page. A world opens with new how. Welcome back. You're listening to today. I'm Zhao Ying. The maltreatment of a Chinese family in Stockholm earlier this month has ignited major discussion on Chinese social media and has led the Chinese embassy in Sweden to issue a safety alert for Chinese tourists visiting the country. The people at the center of the dispute, a man and his parents, arrived at the Generator Stockholm hostel just after midnight. As they were not allowed to check in until 2 p.m. that day, the family asked if they could wait in the lobby, but staff refused and called the police, the social media post said. The tourist said he and his parents were forcefully removed by the police, despite his parents feeling sick. He said he and his parents were, given, were driven away from the hotel in a police car and dropped off near a cemetery. A video accompanying the post appeared to show his father lying on a pavement with his wife sitting beside him, both of them crying as two female police officers looked on. For more on this, we are joined by our commentator, Man Ling. This event has attracted major attention on Chinese social media, and we can see from the video that the Swedish police are dragging the Chinese tourists, and some call them thugs, but others say it is the Chinese who are misbehaving. So what do you make of this dispute? Whose fault is it? First of all, calling anyone names are not appropriate. So <laughs> I'm against that. And um, let's just uh, go to the, uh, the very limited facts and video clippings and pictures uh, revealed to the public already. Um, I think the pictures and the scenes were very unpleasant to watch, and we all don't like it. It's, a, it's quite disappointing that such a thing happened, actually. Um, but before knowing the facts, it's just too early to say whose fault it is and to draw a conclusion. Many of us jump to, you know, make, being judgmental, and this makes things worse. The Swedish government and the Swedish side, let's say, have already said that it's going to be and there there will be an independent sort of investigation. So let's just be patient um, to wait for the result to come out. But um, judging from the the video, you know, we can see one thing is for sure: there's no physical, real physical contact between the two sides, and there's no intimidating, life-threatening verbal attacks. But definitely we can see people are angry and there are misunderstandings there. People don't understand each other. And then very unfriendly people to each other. You know, nobody is being very nice and treating each other as human beings, right? And finally, these are visitors 
visiting a total strange piece of land, and they have problems, and their problems are not being solved. So, how would you evaluate the response from the Swedish authorities? Like, basically, there's no response or very little response both at night and during the aftermath. So, no response is such a bad response. <laughs> I call it.、Um, it simply takes too long. Because usually international, you know, things of such a scale, because it is cooking up and stirring up, and then it has caught attention of both、um, embassies and both governments already. So there's no response. This is a li- quite unacceptable.、Um, this is also why the Chinese public is now responding with such massive responsiveness. I call it too strongly to such a single case, because you know uncertainty kills people. Kills patience. We all hate uncertainty. We want to have an answer, right? And the patience is running out. So actually, the whole thing is an individual case. Should not be escalated to a bilateral relationship sort of issue. And hopefully, you know, China and Sweden are very friendly countries. We have a good relationship between two sides. And then now, in my friend circle, I even heard and read about people who said, "Hey." Several years ago, I visited Sweden, and then why it has turned itself into such a terrible country? You know, treating people like that, and then we shall never visit that country again. So I don't want to see that this single incident or single event is going to harm the relationship that we, you know, both sides have been working so hard to build a friendly, constructive, you know, relationship. And I, I don't want to see that happen. Well, actually, the number of Chinese tourists has skyrocketed over the past two decades, and they are now the world's biggest spenders. But there are complaints that some Chinese tourists are not very well behaved in other countries. So, do you think that's true, and and why? Why is that? Since we started, we decided to reform and open up. I, I think this is expected. Because anything international, bilateral trade, multilateral trade—if you're going to do trade and and politics, everything involving a third country, another country—the most important thing we need to address is to understand each other. So many things are happening, unpleasant things are happening because we misunderstand each other, and this is no exception. It's a misunderstanding case. China actually has made huge progress in improving foreign language studies. For example, maybe ten or twenty years ago, people didn't know how to speak English, and now more and more people can speak English now, right? And then, with、uh, the deepening of reform and opening up, more and more people have chances of going abroad to see the world. So the understanding is being improved, and then there are exceptions. Maybe somebody. Some people haven't had the ability or accessibility to catch up. So, how are we going to deal with such an issue? We need to be patient. If we choose, I think I have been. If any chance is available, I am the one always to help. Those who cannot speak English, I help them. If I'm with some delegation members in the same sort of、um, you know on the same journey, I'm usually the one you know trying to、uh, you know. Do the translating, you know, things, these things. So, if you choose to help, that's the best. If you do not choose to help, try to be patient, because I always believe in education. Always works better than punishment, and even physical. In this case, physical punishment. It's not going to work. It makes things bad and worse. So maybe things are getting better these these days. Yeah, if, yeah. So it's a single case. It's not millions of Chinese people visit other countries every year. We have、uh, very solid figures out there. So how many of such single event is being cooked up? This one is being cooked up, actually. Yes. So hope hopefully both sides could calm down a little bit, and we wish the Swedish government and the police department can give us, you know. Responses as soon as possible. Yes, and as the saying goes, "When in Rome, do as the Romans do." So, do you have any suggestions for those who are planning to travel abroad in terms of、uh, communicating with people with different culture backgrounds? If I'm here to talk with my own people, I always want to say, wherever you are, try always abide by rules and regulations, Chinese ones and foreign ones. You know, wherever you go, abide by rules and regulations. Do things according to law, and then traveling over. Overseas, if you really you can just spend bucks because we go 
outside and within even the country. Tourism is for seeking pleasure. You want a good life, right? Do homework before going abroad because that's not your country. You're so familiar with the culture of your domestic culture and traditions, but you're not familiar with things out outside of your own country. And also, if you do not have time to do the research and homework, go with an expert, a friend who is familiar with that culture, you know, things, practices over there. And if you don't have friends, right, follow, sign up uh, with a good travel agency, uh, the one that you can trust, but follow their advice, what to do and how to respond to, you know, difficult situations or whatever, huh? And then I think I want to say to to myself too, whenever there are bad things occurring or things that we don't like happening, try to learn how to manage our you know anger management. Learn skills to of anger management. If we calm down, things will be solved in a friendly way. And and then last but not least, always contact our embassies and consulates, general and consulates, the first time. As soon as possible when really bad things are happening because they are there to protect us. And in this single case, they didn't respond or they didn't contact the embassy long after, several days afterwards. They should actually contact the embassy. And, and the embassy at least has, have, have people who can speak the language who, can, who knows the country better than you, right? Who can come in ways to talk to relevant people that they know they should, you know, be talking to. So these are the tips that I can think of. That's our current affairs commentator, Man Ling. Chinese President Xi Jinping says China is willing to share development opportunities in the digital economy with other countries. He has made the suggestion in a congratulatory letter to the opening of the World Artificial Intelligence Conference in Shanghai, which will run until Wednesday. In his letter, Xi Jinping is calling for more to be done to promote artificial intelligence for the benefit of humankind. It's been revealed South Korean President Moon Jae-in and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un will sit down face-to-face at least twice during their summit in Pyongyang this week. The sessions in Pyongyang are scheduled to last for three days starting Tuesday. Moon's chief of staff says if the talk goes smoothly, Moon and Kim are anticipated to hold a joint news conference to announce an agreement after the Wednesday morning talks. Major schedules for the Moon-Kim summit will also be live broadcast for the first time. It's widely expected denuclearization will be the main issue on the table at the summit. Coming up in the other news segment, Chinese chili sauce brand becomes fashion icon. Pole dancing wants to be at the Olympics. You're listening to Today. Stay with us. With the great efforts made by the staff today, it's become one of the great uh, platforms for policy debates and information dissemination. And I wish today have an even brighter and greater tomorrow. Welcome back. You're listening to Today. I'm Zhao Ying. Now joining us for other news is Wu Yu again. Thank you, Zhao Ying. New York Fashion Week's annual collection had a surprising addition, Chinese Laogamma hoodies. Purchase of Tao Hua Bi, the founder of Laogamma, which means old godmother, were plastered on the hoodies, sold at fashion retailer opening ceremonies Broadway store. The event was part of the Fashion Week's China Day promotion. The item is being sold in the U.S. for about 120 U.S. dollars. The the Laogamma or old godmother has mm-hmm. been a very popular brand across China for decades. It now, is. It is after it was founded in in the mid nineties, mm-hmm. and also very interestingly, there are. Chinese characters on the arms of the hoodas, which means national goddess. Mm-hmm. So I think it is true that in China and even among Chinese all over the world, everyone knows Lao Gan Ma. And even those who are not fans of the sauce in China probably knows the, the story behind this brand. Uh, as you just said, it was founded by Tao Hua Bi, whose image is still on the jars until today. But back then, he was only a poor noodle cook in Guiyang. Mm-hmm. And two decades later, the company she started is worth hundreds of millions of yuan. But have you ever thought that one day it can be linked with fashion? 
Well, talking about fashion, I think、um, she's part of it because today you can see a lot of people want to make a sound, and she is regarded as the national diva. I can say Mary Carey is a diva for many people, but Tao Tao Huabi is apparently apparently one of the national divas for me because、um, many people have the same feelings as I did. We feel nostalgic for the sauces, especially while we were in the university, <laughs> you know. And then、um, now that she is one of the many people or the entrepreneurs that has been regarded as the、um, popular brands nationwide and also internationally, because.、Um, Like the sportswear company Liening, he's also well known. And for other Chinese staples like Jianbing or Haidilao Hot Pot, I think those are the Chinese brands well received abroad and both domestically and internationally.、Um, for many people, this is. Obviously, one of the divas. Exactly, and this season,、uh, Tao Huabi's chili sauce is one of the several domestic brands invited by Alibaba to、mm-hmm. feature at New York Fashion Week. And others include a traditional Chinese medicine company and cosmetic brands and mineral water company. So, also you can you can buy one of the fashionable hoodies on Alibaba's Tmall. This is not an advertisement. But let's move move on to our next topic.、Mm-hmm. In the UK now, pole dancing became an official sport and. Those in the industry are now fighting for it to go all the way to the Olympics. And once stigmatized for its association with strip clubs, the pastime is now recognized as a legitimate art. Form and for its fitness benefits. Now, a petition calling for pole dancing becoming included in the Olympics has collected over ten thousand. Ten thousand signatures from across the world to let the federation being formed. Actually, there are already pole dancing competitions there, right?、Mm-hmm. The, the Internationally, can, yes,、mm-hmm. the athletes can enter an event through the pole sports organization, picking their skill level, age, and type of dance,、uh, dance routine, because there are different types of pole dance. But still, I think it is not easy to push an event into the the Olympics, is it? Well. It- It is、um, sometimes、uh, wise to say that don't judge too early because you can see that esports has been included in Asian Games and it will be a former game in the Asian Games in Hangzhou. So I can say that nowadays、um, the pole dancing has、uh, changed its definition in many countries. But still, if it is regarded as a sport in Olympics, it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation. So how to decide it is still the call for the Olympic Committee. But so far. People has changed its、uh, definition of pole dancing. Let's、yeah. wait and see. Sure, thank you, Wuyo. That's all the time we have for this edition of today. A quick recap of today's headlines: Super Typhoon Mankud has made landfall in Guangdong Province, affecting millions of people. A high-level seminar has been held in Beijing, focusing on China-U.S. trade frictions. Former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort pleads guilty and agrees to cooperate with special counsel's probe. And Chinese tourists complain about the ill treatment by Swedish police after hostel booking confusion. To listen to this episode again or catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching World News Analysis. The program engineer of that of this episode is Shu Ping. I'm Zhao Ying. Thank you so much for listening.